Put down that smartphone and listen to me. I'm Matthew Milligan, professional musician and lifelong Weird Al fan. Each week, I'm joined by professional podcaster and close personal friend Matt Kelly to take a dive off the deep end into the vast career of pop culture icon Weird Al Yankovic on our show, Weird Algorithm. Along with some very special guests from the worlds of music and comedy, we tackle every song, every television appearance, and every bit of sketch comedy Al has produced in chronological order, covering the good old days of My Bologna and Eat It, the fun zone of tacky and white and nerdy, and everything in between. As we go, we're ranking the songs, albums, and music videos in the hopes of creating the ultimate guide to a career bigger than the biggest ball of twine in Minnesota. So the next time you're having one of those days stuck in a traffic jam wondering why does this always happen to me, just kick off your sneakers and stick around for a while because we've got it all on Weird Algorithm, available wherever you get your podcasts. And now you know. Was that enough references? Meanwhile, in New Jersey... So, Marissa, what talking points do you want to hit on in this week's episode? Well, Jackie, let's talk about how the film addresses the patriarchy. Ooh, and representation of marginalized people. Ooh, ooh, and even philosophical ramifications of good versus evil and horror. We can point out the triangle boobs, talk about the blood splatter, and oh, the practical effects. <sighs> um, and also the male gaze? My gaze at the males. Hi From feminism to fangirling, the Jersey Ghouls cover all the bases of horror from a woman's perspective. New episodes are uploaded every other Sunday. Just search Jersey Ghouls to find us on social media and your favorite podcasting app. Hey everybody, I'm Chris Fafalius and I'm the producer of Chris to Makes a Podcast and the host of the One Hit Thunder Podcast. And I'm Matt Kelly, host of Horror Movie Night and the producer slash the head of content for the Geekscape Podcasting Network. Between the two of us, we have, believe it or not, 25 years of podcasting experience and we want to help you start your own podcast. We know podcasting and we want to share that knowledge with you. So whether you're new to podcasting or you want some feedback on your currently active podcast, we want to help. Or perhaps you're just overwhelmed with all of the editing work. Well, we can help you with that also. You can check out our website at weknowpodcasting.com for more information. We're excited to help your podcasting dreams become a reality. to another episode of Horror Movie Night. This week we're talking about the 1988 masterpiece that is known as The Vampire's Kiss. And I'm seeing some... If you're on the Patreon and you're watching the video, you can see that Brian and Scott do not seem to agree with me that this is a masterpiece. And I don't even really believe that this is a masterpiece. But what I think that this movie is is Nicolas Cage's favorite movie because he said so in multiple interviews. What? Why? When? What year? 2018 with GQ magazine. He was still saying this was his best movie. So he's why? like a genuinely bad actor. Then. <laughs> so like, I think so here's that the thing. he doesn't live in reality. That's the only explanation I can think of. We talked about a week ago, actually exactly a week ago, 
about revisionist history. <laughs> what I really wanted to talk about with Vampire's Kiss is that this movie is such... The director and Nick Cage have been working overtime <laughs> in revisionist history of this movie and trying to talk about like how it's a statement about like how shitty the yuppies of the 80s were and like all this crazy stuff the dangers of cocaine they even try to explain the accent and they're like oh well you see the accent is that the character that Nick Cage plays is trying to seem impressive around other people so that's why his accent comes and goes it depends on if he's trying to impress people or not and i'm like i feel like the accent's pretty consistent yeah the whole okay movie. i was hoping <laughs> like, that you were going to say that because like i am not an idiot and i'm also i've been doing this for a long time with you guys yeah. so absolutely agree with you that anybody that was working on this movie that thinks this movie is good still is trying to gaslight us because, like, there's not it's a there's bad no movie. consistency. It's, it's a really fucking bad movie. Like, it, it's not subtle about its hatred for yuppie culture. It's not. It's the central tenet of the whole fucking thing. The movie is too long. It's way too long. Terribly yeah, paced. Too long. It, it's not funny, even though it thinks it's funny. And Nick Cage is a mess. And his hair is fucking atrocious. <laughs> the vampiress comes once in a while. There's no... The, the idea of it being a cocaine movie or talking about the dangers of cocaine, if they want to say, oh, that's, an, that's a subtext, that subtext is non-existent. Like, they may have put it in the script, but it did not come through when they made the no, goddamn film. No, it didn't film. make it in there at all. And it's... What kind of sucks is, like, the actual concept of the movie... I feel like incapable hands could be good. You know what I mean? Like a dude thinks he's turning into a vampire when he is it. You know what I mean? Like that's a cool concept. That's something yeah. you could work with and do a really funny movie with. They didn't. They didn't successfully do anything with it, but it did teach me my, my ABCs. And I will have to say that that scene <laughs> alone you. is one of the best scenes in the movie. Why? Not uh, just. It was not, too long. It was too. You didn't have to make it to Z. He didn't have to go all the way to see. <laughs> but, but you know what it is? It's not even that he does the full alphabet. I'm going to stand up. This is, again, for the video people. But it's... No, no, it's, no, no. It's his matches when he does it. I know the alphabet! Throwing his hands to his hips and, like, doing all these crazy, like, dramatic poses. Like, I think of when he jumps on the table and points at Alva and just goes, There you are! <laughs> I am looking forward to seeing how quickly our paid subscribers decline. <laughs> it is such a bad movie. To like, because I don't, I don't understand why. Is there why? Why? Why does he think he's becoming a vampire? Did the bat actually fly through his room, and that's why? What's reality, and what's in his head? So I think the reality is that the bat threw, flew through his room and he got aroused okay. by it. Why? And then okay. I missed that. And then that. I think, and I, he says that to his therapist. He was yeah, like, yeah. I was more aroused mm. by the bat than the girl. And then I do think that he probably hooked up with a girl who bit his neck. And but then was the he, therapist even real? No, the therapist was real. Yeah, the therapist is real, but at the end where... Have that meeting and it's like, here's the love of your the, life. Yeah, that that, that's very obviously the, the obviousness of him being like, uh, yeah, because a the therapist would reality. never introduce two patients to each other. I don't <laughs> like I, never you know, in a million years. Yes, Matt, that's obvious. But the bigger issue is that <laughs> that's not the more ridiculous part of that whole scene. The more ridiculous <laughs> part of the whole scene is him fucking walking around with blood on his mouth, carrying 
a piece of wood being like, will you please stake me? He's walking around in daylight. If you're really a vampire, you're not going to be walking around in daylight. So do you want to know the craziest part about that particular scene? Is that your disbelief stopped at HIPAA? Yeah, so... <laughs> So this movie um, caused a little bit of controversy when it was getting made because it was a fully non-union film. So, like, there was a lot of scenes where they had to ADR it because there were so many people outside camp, like, picketing and whatnot. But that particular scene was shot guerrilla style from, like, blocks away with no paid extras. Those are just actual people in the street of New York that Nick Cage is just walking up to with blood on his mouth going, please kill me, I'm a vampire. But the thing is, and they've seen that shit every day of their lives living in NYC. Yes. It's the ambiance of NYC. Yeah, you can take this as a positive thing or a negative thing. It is just a fact. New York is really good at minding their own fucking business. <laughs> <laughs> The other big thing in this movie was that Nick Cage actually ate the cockroach in that scene. Oh, he he, sure fucking did. And he says, and I read this interview quote, and then the scene happened, and you can really see it as he says, like, I decided I was going to do it. He goes, and every muscle in my body was fighting against me the entire time. And you look at that scene, and it is like, he does not want to be doing it. And it was his idea. He was like, I think I should eat a cockroach. (laughs) Okay, that's the only reference in this movie where I will give the movie credit. That's a Renfield reference, and it's kind of fun. But like, I I hate myself for even admitting something like that because I know I'm going to get taken out of context and people will be like, that guy liked it. Yeah, Reddit's going to be like, this just in, Scott from Horror Movie Night says, Vampire's Kiss, best movie of the 80s. Fun. <laughs> Cockroach is fun. <laughs> Clever. He got in trouble for that too. Uh, apparently animal rights activists contacted him. for it. Well, that's so his response was, I'll apologize if you tell me that there's no cans of Raid in your house. Listen, I am a sucker for animals. Cockroaches do not deserve any type of respect. If you were to like slowly dismember one, you're fucked up in the head. Yeah, that's like pulling flies' wings off. Yeah. I mean, that's the sign of childhood psychosis. Yeah, but if you're just, what? We're going to eat it. Nah, you know, whatever. <laughs> I, of all people on this show, should be the one who's like, yeah, fuck Nick Cage eating a cockroach. But I also am the one who probably has the most right to be like, that's absurd, and you're just causing a fuss because you have nothing better to do with your time. Yes. Yeah. I would call that the the Morrissey animal rights level ah, as opposed to yes. just a normal human animal rights level. Yeah, yeah. So I, I got to talk real quick about where my suspension of disbelief broke in this movie because that's kind of my shtick on this show. Yeah. It's actually the bar scene at the beginning when he meets the vampiress, right? That's really, it's really hard to accept because there's a live band with people dancing and talking, and it's one of those New York City bars that are about probably 30 feet wide. You know, it's just like a long hallway. That's all they are. There's no fucking way that there are people talking and dancing and drinking in a bar that's that thin in New York City in the Upper East Side or wherever the fuck they are and there's a full band at full volume 
I mean, I know it's a jazz band or a lounge band, but it's still full volume. You'd be like, hey, do you want to go have sex with me? Like, it's, you're not going to be like, hey, do you want to go have sex with me? Like, and also, the, the it got worse because then you see there are votive candles all over the, the place, like along the bar. It's like dotted with votive candles. And there's so much hairspray in every woman's hair that there's no way that that's not a fire hazard. Even in, like, like you know, in, in the 80s, it would have been an absolute disaster waiting to happen. But then there's this one thing that I really don't understand about it because it has to be an in-joke. And you guys have got to tell me what it is because I am racking my brain. I don't know what it is. There's a woman who's got a massive cheek mole. It's not, and it's absolutely a prosthetic. It is not just some woman with a cheek mole because it's a zoom in right of that woman's cheek. And, I, and I'm wondering... <laughs> What are they trying to say? If they're trying to say so much about the rest of the rest of New York City in the eighties, you know, like what are they trying to say with this woman's prosthetic mole? I think that was written while they were doing cocaine. Uh, and that scene <laughs> oh, happened shortly the after. Yeah. 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 All the coke that about this movie was about was what they were doing on set and when they were writing it, yeah. it wasn't actually in the script. Gotcha. Exactly. Like the mind fight. Yeah. So yeah, I the, feel the, like the, the domestic violence mimes is another thing that is yeah, what uh, the fuck? written by cocaine. So let me ask you guys a question real quick. I know, Brian, this was definitely your first viewing. Scott, was this your first or second time watching this? First and last. But it's funny because <laughs> I would call it my what first and a half viewing because I feel like I've seen half of this as GIFs on the internet. Yes. Well, I was going to say, this movie became more famous for, for the memes that it that it created. But I got this on Blu-ray when Scream Factory put it out because they were really hyping it up on uh, on Killer POV or Shockwaves, one of those shows they were Shockwaves hyping it point. up. And I feel like with this movie, it is when Nick Cage really started to become Nick Cage. Are you, <laughs> you sure? Know what I mean? like, what, what else? Did he, what had he done before this? Like, this was like, he had still done like Raising Arizona and Valley Girl. Like, he'd always been. That, but I think this is okay. the first, like, <laughs> yo, there's no holds bars. We're letting Nick Cage do whatever the hell Nick Cage wants to do. Because... The scene where he's destroying his apartment is 100% Nick Cage. The director even said, in retrospect, it was probably really dangerous to have the lead of your movie just smashing up glass and furniture for like an hour on film. But one of the few parts that actually made me laugh out loud, and I don't know if it was intentional or not, Nick Cage does some type of crazy ass karate kick to one of the lambs in the beginning yeah. of that freak out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, Jesus. And that lamp explodes. <laughs> like, it yeah. is. He kicks that thing so hard. And that was the first moment where I'm like, oh, this is really dangerous. <laughs> like, this so is here's not a question good idea. To, to bounce off of that. Do you think that this movie was all one take? I think that it is a lot of single takes. <laughs> because, like, there, there's that, and there's him eating a cockroach, and then... And, but also, it's like the there was no editor for this movie, and if there was an editor, they were high, too, because he goes, I'm a vampire, like, ten times in a row. It's yeah. like they, the, <laughs> uh, the director said, all right, Nick, I want you to do this with, like, seven different inflections. And he gave them ten. And they kept every single one of them. So some of the other people that they considered for, for the role before they gave it to Nick Cage included Judd Nelson, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Sylvester Stallone. I, I would love to have seen what Judd Nelson would have done in this movie because he's the only one that I feel like could have been somewhat of a normal person before the psychosis hits. 
Because like Arnold yeah, Schwarzenegger, no, I mean, it's, his accent alone it. wouldn't have. His accent has always been, you know, a nine out of ten in the the unintelligible unintelligibility. Is that a, is that a word? Uh, scale. It works for me. Yeah. And then fucking like, Stallone would just be like, "I'm a vampire." Is it because he's yeah. got a New York, a Jersey accent? Yeah. Maybe, because, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but Arnold Schwarzenegger is either in serious, dark movies or very endearing, ridiculous movies. What are the serious, dark I mean, movies? It depends Terminator. on what you call, That's like, action. Predator. They're either, like, sincere movies with, like, lots of people dying or he's a pregnant man. How is, how yeah, is Predator have, a, a sincere movie, dude? It's about saying, an alien coming to Earth to hunt humans, and he gets outsmarted by a dude who weighs 300 pounds of pure fucking muscle covered in mud. It is not... Are you going to say that the premise for Predator is equal to... I'm fighting Junior, with the postman absolutely. to get my son this toy, and I'm going to get in all these kooky <laughs> shenanigans for sake of this toy. Yes, Arnold Schwarzenegger is and always has been Arnold Schwarzenegger. Every movie, there are not, there is not like a, a there's no discernment between the two of them. There, between the, oh, the, the the jingle all the ways and the predators and the total recalls and the yeah yeah yeah, you know, like it, no, there's it's it's all it's all. It's not one. the Tuma. <laughs> Kindergarten oh, cop. Kindergarten oh, cop. August. Do, please do. N- oh <laughs> fuck no. You know. You, you know. It's funny. QAnon ruined my conspiracy theories. Not because of theirs. It was because of when I would have to disprove them with mine coming out of my mouth. It was more ridiculous. You know what I mean? It was like. It was like, did you know that the Democrats are actually pedophiles? And it's like, first of all, it's all politicians, and they're not pedophiles. They just drink children's blood to gain energy. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's just science, guys. Come on now. Put down that smartphone and listen to me. I'm Matthew Milligan, professional musician and lifelong Weird Al fan. Each week, I'm joined by professional podcaster and close personal friend Matt Kelly to take a dive off the deep end into the vast career of pop culture icon Weird Al Yankovic on our show, Weird Algorithm. Along with some very special guests from the worlds of music and comedy, we tackle every song, every television appearance, and every bit of sketch comedy Al has produced in chronological order, covering the good old days of My Bologna and Eat It, the fun zone of tacky and white and nerdy, and everything in between. As we go, we're ranking the songs, albums, and music videos in the hopes of creating the ultimate guide to a career bigger than the biggest ball of twine in Minnesota. So the next time you're having one of those days stuck in a traffic jam wondering why does this always happen to me, just kick off your sneakers and stick around for a while because we've got it all on Weird Algorithm, available wherever you get your podcasts. And now you know. Was that enough references? Meanwhile, in New Jersey... So, Marissa, what talking points do you want to hit on in this week's episode? Well, Jackie, let's talk about how the film addresses the patriarchy. Ooh, and representation of marginalized people. Ooh, ooh, and even philosophical ramifications of good versus evil and horror. We can point out the triangle boobs, talk about the blood splatter, and, oh, the practical effects. <sighs> um, and also the male gaze? My gaze at the males. hi From feminism to fangirling, the Jersey Ghouls cover all the bases of horror from a woman's perspective. New episodes are uploaded every other Sunday. Just search Jersey Ghouls to find us on social media and your favorite podcasting app. 
I think we did a very successful job of talking about Vampire's Kiss without actually talking about Vampire's Kiss for almost What are you talking about? We talked minutes. about it so much. Yeah. So, Scott, ask me what my double feature is for this. What's your double feature? <laughs> I'm so glad you asked because my double feature comes with a fun fact. I'm going to follow up watching Vampire's Kiss with American Psycho. You son of a bitch! So, so because Christian Bale has gone on the record of saying that he based Patrick Bateman on Nicolas Cage's character and Donald Trump. Yeah, it was a combination of those two. Uh, But yes, even just like the whole premise of this movie shitting on yuppies, it's just like, you know, this was doing it while they were still popular. And then, you know, 12 years later, someone else was like, Let's just make sure we continue to shit on yuppies. But I'm pretty again. sure that the I'm pretty sure the book was either being written around oh, the time the, the Vampire's height, Kiss was yeah. uh, was out, or yeah. it was out by that time. I you know, and I'm not smart enough to be able to figure that yeah, out. Brett, fast Freddie Sinellis actually came home from seeing Vampire's Kiss <laughs> and was like. I'm inspired. I stole your double feature, so... No, you didn't actually steal my double feature. I assumed that you were going to do that. I was just... Listeners, I hope you know that I am not this hyped in real life. I save all of my energy for this show. I am literally a wallflower the days that we podcast because uh, beforehand I'm like, okay, gotta save it. And then afterwards I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm really emotionally drained from this. I wasn't really going to pick American Psycho. I assumed Matt was going to pick it. It came to mind when we started talking about yuppies, etc. I'm going to go with Shadow of the Vampire because that is arguably my favorite vampire movie of all time. It's Willem Dafoe basically doing the exact same concept where you're not exactly sure if the guy's a vampire or, well, if he's not really, if Max Shrek really is Nosferatu or if he's just a very eccentric actor. Movie is phenomenal. Movie has arguably more boobs in it than Vampire's Kiss. So, I mean, it's going to make everybody happy. It definitely has more boobs in it than Nosferatu. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. Brian spitting facts. Brian, what's your double feature looking like? Well, as you know, I think of him on the fly. And you were talking about how... You were talking about yuppies. And yours was was another anti-yuppies movie. So I'm going to pick one that was... Not subtly an anti-Yuppies movie, but probably the best one as of recently. And the last thing I saw before the COVID-19 hit, which would be 2020's The Hunt. Because oh. I just want to watch that movie again. That is a I, fun movie. I've been movie. wanting to watch it. I just, you know, when it came out, I was so stressed about the election that I just couldn't bring myself to do it. And then I forgot about it. And I think I saw it on some streaming service recently. It's a ton of fun. It's not super in your face in any way. It's definitely relevant to why you're concerned, but it's a very fun movie from begin to end. Let's talk about things that we've watched. Yeah, I'm gonna talk about a movie that Brian watched first on this podcast, spoke very highly of. Scott watched Uh, more recently. I know what you're talking about. Spoke very highly of. And then I finally got around to watching it. And I also thought it was fantastic. Promising Young Women. Woman. So stupid good. A really, really good movie, really well-made movie. I mean, I, there's not much Harrowing more else to though. say than I mean, just. Yeah. I still am not good. I'm not cool with Bo Burnham yet. Like, it's just still not cool. Yeah, with you him. gotta, you gotta get over that, man. I yeah. know, I know, I do, but it's just so hard. Like, I, I sent you that TikTok, Brian, um, of the one song from his new special, and I, and the problem is, is I didn't really know Bo Burnham before 
seeing promising young woman mm-hmm. and seeing him be a total shithead makes it really hard for me not to see that in his character. But I know that's why they cast all those characters like him and McLovin and every every shithole man that's in that movie is 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 typically a comedic actor and typically a good person. Exactly, heart, and it was on purpose. Taking a role. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I think that they also sprung some of the <laughs> shitty stuff on him on set. Yeah, and they're and and that's cool because then they really had to get out of their comfort zone anyway great fucking movie. now that matt watched it they 100 percent he was the perfect cast for it because anyone who does like you didn't really know him going into it but it was like the ultimate like reverse red herring type situation mm-hmm. because he's such a charming nice individual that like i was fucking completely fucking caught off guard well, like he- absolutely you know, the, the internet has given us a lot of shitty pe- personalities. And, like, for a guy whose, like, whole start was, like, I do funny songs on the internet, like, has yeah. become such an impressive artist. And I and I use that word very sincerely because, like, Eighth Grade is a piece of art. Like, that movie is phenomenal. And for that to be, like, his directorial and, like, writing debut feature-wise is impressive as all hell. Like, that movie is incredible. And then Make Happy, the last, like, stand-up special that he did, the last 10 minutes of that special is the most powerful performance about struggling with anxiety that I have ever seen. Like, for someone to literally go up and end his live show with a song about how he is so terrified that the audience won't love him that it makes him scared to go on stage and perform anymore. And that's how he closes out the show is like one of the craziest things I've ever watched on Netflix where I'm just like, holy shit. Like, I think this man's having a breakdown. You guys need to make me like a, a syllabus of Bo Burnham shit because I need to know these things. I think as a, I think as a musician, you will really, really like make happy. I think what overall, like his that's his, his like more that. well-known one but yeah, yeah i think that one you'd be like ah, i respect him for his for its talent but like it's not i don't think what's going to check off many boxes for scott i do think make happy will i'll go sec i'll go next because it's relevant to what you just discussed yeah. i watched bo burnham's newest special inside <laughs> <laughs> i was assuming that that's what you're gonna yeah. talk about won't even try to pronounce the comedian but he's openly talked about in interviews how his favorite comedian ever is this guy like hans i think it's like t t woon or whatever um which is what that video that sock video you sent me mm-hmm. was clearly yeah. paying homage to it's actually weird i was looking at his stuff online like some of his bits and they the stage and lights are exactly like what, like that blue light. It looks like you're watching what, but this other comedian. And like I told my brother before Scott signed on, it's not really a comedy stand-up as much as like you just watch this. Like he's been very open about his mental health throughout since he before he was famous, and it's a very, it's almost like watching Hereditary in a sense of like I shouldn't be here because you're like drawn between like the fact that somebody made this in their bedroom by themselves is absolutely incredible to like oh my god is he okay right because the guy has been locked in a room by himself for a year right not by choice yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's super powerful but if you're going like to be haha i don't really go on reddit i don't like it but every once in a while i pop on and reddit or not reddit twitter um Oh, oh even worse yeah yeah. yeah, but every once in a while I'll pop on just to see and when a curiosity gets me and 
from what I saw on Twitter, it seems like everyone's really, really happy about it because I was worried that people were going to be torn. Like, this isn't, where's the, where's the beating off A minor type jokes, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I uh, I do think that that's, I've only seen and heard good things on social as well about it. And I think that a lot of that has to do with, I want to say that COVID led to a good amount of emotional maturation for Gen yeah. X or Gen Gen Z um, people. I mean, I, I would say millennials as well, because but more so Gen Z because they're younger and, and just kind of aren't as set in their ways. Like I think that a lot of Gen X, a, a ton of Gen X, almost all of boomers and then a good portion of millennials had a really hard time slowing down during the pandemic and, and kind of like sitting with their thoughts. Uh, it's, it's a conversation that Megan and I have had a lot because, you know, uh, she started to go to therapy um, and I changed my therapist over to someone in my wife's new practice. And the people trying to have therapy and trying to start therapy for the first time in their lives is skyrocketing because the, the American way was like, go, 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 go don't sit with your thoughts. And then these people had to sit with their thoughts for like however long lockdown was, six weeks, four weeks, whatever it was. Yeah, 15, 16 months, yeah. Well, I mean, mean, straight lockdown, um, not just the pandemic itself, but, you know, like just even taking a month of time where you weren't allowed to go to bars, get shit-faced, fuck people you don't know, go to work, go home, just be consumed with everything, have a commute where you're just trying to drown out the boredom. Uh, with podcasts or Candy Crush, you know, shit that I still do. But, you know, all those things, I feel like people have matured a bit so that they can see and appreciate when an artist tries to be genuine instead of just go for the ha-has. I hope for the, for our podcast yeah. sake, I hope, you well, know. <laughs> I mean, I think that that's something that I've learned with the more that like a lot of the therapy that I've been doing for the last couple of years has been centered around comedy just around the concept of like the need for approval like why do so many comedians commit suicide why do they burn out like and and like the darkness that like is underneath all of that and you know a big portion of it where i think comedy in general has gotten so much better is that comedians are more open about their depression and their anxiety versus like you know god bless them chris farley where it was like he had just as many demons and and terrible anxieties as everybody else, but he just coked and alcoholed it yeah. up and just kept moving and kept moving and kept moving and ended up killing himself instead of like dealing with it. I think I, we ended up cutting it from the episode of One Hit Thunder, but I still think about when Nate from 91 Donkey Lane was on the podcast and he said like, if Chris Farley didn't die and he got help and like he actually like started seeing a therapist and... He goes, he would have been incredible as like Thing or the Hulk in a movie one day because like he would have been able to embody that sadness behind a hulking character. Like, because the joke is always like, oh, he would have just been who Kevin James is. You know, like if he was still alive, he'd be playing all the Kevin James roles in Adam Sandler movies. He's like, I don't think so. He's like, I think he would have gone off and had a really interesting career like doing these comedic roles with a, a little edge of like drama and sincerity because he was he was like the guy you always want to root for because he was like the sympathetic character in every one of those movies even though he was like a big bumbling fool and i think that that's really in the last 10 years but yeah the pandemic 
really sped that up for people yeah. is like having those comedians that are way more willing to talk about the shit that they're going through. That's very optimistic of you and Nate. I just, a part of me wants to agree with you because it's such a beautiful, like, what if, but like another part of me is like, uh, Chris Farley would have been in 50 First Dates, Grown Ups, Grown Ups 2, and every other movie that Adam Sandler's pumped out the past six yeah. years. I mean, I mean, he could have been both, though. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. like he could have he could have balanced both. Like versus Adam Sandler, who does like one serious role every decade. And, and I, don't, I don't understand. It's like. <laughs> It's like every time he does it, it's like, we love you. This is great. I have heard literally no negative stories about him as a person. Like, it no. seems like when it comes to, like, celebrities, he is still, like, the most down-to-earth, like, humble. Like, I mean, he went viral for, like, just leaving an IHOP because there was too the long was of too a long. wait and not, like, throwing his celebrity dumb around to get a table. Which, first of all, if you're a celebrity throwing, I don't care who you are, if you're fucking Brad Pitt and you throw yeah. your name out at an IHOP, you're fucking trash. <laughs> That's what I'm just gonna say. Do you know who I am? <laughs> That's the best part about that story, really, is that we're all, everyone jumped on the fact that, like, Adam Sandler didn't throw away, throw around his celebrity dumb to get a table, but not the fact that Adam Sandler, who could probably have access to to the finest chefs in all the world was like, nah, I just really want an IHOP pancake. Right I, I lived in Florida. I worked in corporate America and I have had the privilege of going out to eat with very, very wealthy people. And I've gone to very, very expensive restaurants, very, very expensive breakfast restaurants. And not a single one has strawberry and blueberry syrup on their counter <laughs> like IHOP does. <laughs> It's because it's called compote, you idiot. <laughs> All right, so enough of that. I have I have two things to say. Well, one thing to say and one thing to do. So kind of an interesting accidental connection to Promising Young Woman. I watched American Mary because it popped up on Shudder. And I have not watched American Mary since probably 2016 or something like that. I mean, it's been a long time. I think this was only my third watch. And I went in thinking... Oh, man, I, I love the first two-thirds of this movie. And then the third act just kind of doesn't do it for me. And yeah. I don't know why I thought that. Because it's actually kind of a perfect film. It's I don't know what I was expecting. It's a good movie. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we'll eventually do it. Came out. Okay, so we might yeah. do it in 2023. So I really won't talk too much about it. But um, Soska Sisters are absolute... Just angels, best best people in the biz, in the horror biz. I love the fact that they get it, you know, and I love the fact that they were allowed to make that movie. And Kristen, uh, Catherine Isabel is, uh, she's definitely a bucket list horror celeb that I would love to just meet and talk to because I don't know anything about her. She's just like the most Canadian <laughs> horror icon I know. <laughs> but it's just so good and uh, super gory and I love the ending to it. And it's a very promising yeah. young woman movie. In that sense, I was gonna say it's it's very it's it's talking about things that the rest of the world didn't get around to talking about for another three or four years, honestly, yeah, which is which is wild. But the thing that I wanted to do after I said that was I wanted to do a quick little unboxing. Amazon showed up with not one but two of these Ritual Zero Proof spirits, so I got tequila and whiskey. But I want to try the whiskey because I'm a definite whiskey guy. The the tequila I got more so because. Um, you know, Megan likes to have mocktails during the week because she won't drink at all during the week. Um, and then she'll have, you know, a glass of wine on Friday and Saturday night. It actually smells really, really good. It's got kind of a, 
uh, a mossy peaty flavor to a smell to it. Um, I'm, I was just expecting it to smell like caramel syrup. So I like the fact, I mean, I, I don't hate it. Um, I think that it's clever. <laughs> I, I, it's better than I was expecting because I've seen people do unboxings of these before. What the, they do is to give it that feel of um, the alcohol burn in the back of your throat, which Brian, I'm sure, understands. Matt, you don't because you've never tasted alcohol in your nope. life. So it, it just feels kind of like warmth in the back I've, of your throat. Then it I've goes had down your... one sip, so I know what you're talking about. Okay, all right. Um, <laughs> but what they do, I know what they do with all these is that they put some, some pepper <laughs> extract, like, uh, you know, like capsicum, and these to give them a little bit of a spike to them. This would probably be better mixed in something. Like I would definitely try this with ginger ale. It, it's more of it's. It says it's a whiskey, but it feels more like a, like a, a like a, a Scotch whiskey. So it's um if, if people out there that listen and like that kind of thing, I would say check it out. It's called Ritual. Um, there are other ones like Monday. Um, is another company that makes this kind of stuff. Uh, I just went with Ritual because it was on Amazon and I wanted to give it a shot. I, I love it. I love it. And it's something especially fun for the people at Patreon. Over at patreon.com backslash podcast. you can see the video of Scott taking just a swig from the bottle. That, however, was Vampire's Kiss from 1988. Tune in next week when we're going to discuss a movie that I have heard of, but know not a goddamn thing about it that Scott picked. So stay tuned. We'll be back next week. Put down that smartphone and listen to me. I'm Matthew Milligan, professional musician and lifelong Weird Al fan. Each week, I'm joined by professional podcaster and close personal friend Matt Kelly to take a dive off the deep end into the vast career of pop culture icon Weird Al Yankovic on our show, Weird Algorithm. Along with some very special guests from the worlds of music and comedy, we tackle every song, every television appearance, and every bit of sketch comedy Al has produced in chronological order, covering the good old days of My Bologna and Eat It, the fun zone of Tacky and White and Nerdy, and everything in between. As we go, we're ranking the songs, albums, and music videos in the hopes of creating the ultimate guide to a career bigger than the biggest ball of twine in Minnesota. So the next time you're having one of those days stuck in a traffic jam wondering why does this always happen to me, just kick off your sneakers and stick around for a while because we've got it all on Weird Algorithm, available wherever you get your podcasts. And now you know. Was that enough references? Meanwhile, in New Jersey... So, Marissa, what talking points do you want to hit on in this week's episode? Well, Jackie, let's talk about how the film addresses the patriarchy. Ooh, and representation of marginalized people. Ooh, ooh, and even philosophical ramifications of good versus evil and horror. We can point out the triangle boobs, talk about the blood splatter, and, oh, the practical effects. <sighs> um, and also the male gaze? My gaze at the males. hi From feminism to fangirling, the Jersey Ghouls cover all the bases of horror from a woman's perspective. New episodes are uploaded every other Sunday. Just search Jersey Ghouls to find us on social media and your favorite podcasting app. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.